twice in a week, you lucky, lucky people. We are back to discuss all things AFC North. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL Podcast. Yes, boys, it's a sure sign that football is returning as we are working overtime. Second podcast of the week. Hope you enjoyed the NFC North preview from earlier. Um, Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and that way you will not miss any episode that we do drop. But we will be dropping these over the course of the next three weeks as we build towards the start of the 2021 NFL season. Let's welcome the boys back in again. Steve, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you. Two podcasts in a week. God, you can tell the season's around a corner, can't you? Oh, no, mate. Just like a good London bus, mate. Don't do one for ages and then two come along at once. So just like a good old London bus. Josh, how are you, buddy? Yeah, not too bad, mate. It feels like it's only been five minutes since we finished recording the first one. Don't give away the secrets, Joshua. Don't give away the secrets, my friend. Let's move straight into it, fellas, then, and let's talk AFC North this time. And let's start with the team that won the AFC North last year. The Pittsburgh Steelers ended with a 12-4 and record. Obviously got off to a fantastic 11-0 start, and it kind of fell apart from there. Um, but as we know, um, perennial um, playoff performers always had a decent record it seems like under Mike Tomlin so then you know probably plenty of reasons still for optimism but Steve how do you see the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2021? Well the Steelers were were one of the most deceiving teams in the NFL last year they went on that 11-0 start and everyone had them penciled in as the Super Bowl favourites to start with because they went on that 11-0 start. And actually, when you did a bit of digging around, actually, you know, their schedule was relatively weak and, you know, a lot of things fell into place. I mean, I'm, you know, give them their due. It's difficult to win a game in the NFL, let alone 11 in a row. So they obviously did something right. But from there on, from week 13 on, it all went downhill. Everything went downhill. And from that point on, once they lost the first game um, and went to 11-1, and things never looked the same. And they only won one more game all season. So that shows you how much the wheels well and truly came off. Um, And I think this season, I think, will be probably a continuation of that trend. Um, Pittsburgh for the first time in a while, don't look like that Pittsburgh of all. Like, you know, we, the three of us have grown up with Pittsburgh, like you said, always being in the conversation when you, when you look at the AFC and, and, you know, not so much now, but previously the AFC has always been a weaker division when the Patriots dominated for so long. When you looked at the, the AFC, you would always think, well, the, the Patriots are going to be one seed in the in the AFC Championship game, and it's probably going to be the Pittsburgh and the other. Pittsburgh were always the team you look out for, but now Ben Roethlisberger is getting on, you know, how old is the man now? He's 39. He doesn't move very well anymore. He's very immobile. Um, and, you know, is, is, is his accuracy in his arm starting to go a little bit? You know, once you get to that age, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, if, if he has a, a, a poor season, by certainly by his standards. Um, you know, and you look at some of the, the weapons that he has, you know, guys like Juju and, and certainly rookie Chase Claypool started well and then just fell off a cliff. 
Um, and I think a lot's going to be uh, going to be riding on that defense and how much that can bail them out of games, sort of moving in. But you know, I think I think quite the contrary to the uh, to the NF- NFC preview we did earlier in the week for the North. I think this could see a big shift, and actually Pittsburgh could be could be one of the teams that might be facing a, a far worse record than they had last year. Yeah, so Pittsburgh are one of these teams that, you know, really believe their own hype, you know, and in a way, you get it, but they, they beat the Titans, they beat the Ravens twice, you know, they were, you know, that 11-0, yeah, their schedule was easy, but it wasn't, it wasn't bargain basement easy, they still had to overcome some serious challenges, but it was almost night and day, it's almost as if they started believing their hype, and immediately, that's it. Because believing the hype's not the Pittsburgh way. We've always been told that Pittsburgh's about being disciplined, staying sensible, do your job. It's all—it's very Patriots-like. You know, they're the, they're the Patriots without really being the Patriots. And in fact, probably doing it for a lot longer than them as well. So to see them suddenly snap, and then all of a sudden the problems come out the come out the woodwork probably all the problems which other teams experienced but they hadn't until that point then you see some of the teams that they lost to i mean losing to the bengals with their third string quarterback i think it was i mean that's that there's no words a playoff team shouldn't have done that but uh yeah staying as objective as possible it's uh you know it, it finally looks like it's time that the Pittsburgh Steelers takes their foot off the gas and does a bit of a rebuild. And it does come in line with Big Ben finally losing some of his giganticness. And it, it shows you as well, doesn't it, how how form and and sort of momentum is a thing in the NFL. You know, that that once that eleven and all record went, they just were just on a downward spiral for such a long time and you almost think well is it better than to go 0-5 and, and then go 11-0 because you take that momentum into the playoffs you know and I just don't think they're going to start that well this year you know you look at their their schedule they start at Buffalo you know one of the favourites for the AFC this year that's such a tough tough game to open it up you know then they've got games against Las Vegas and Cincinnati so they could easily turn turn it around but then you know back away another tough trip to Lambo against Green Bay you know it, they're, they're you know I, I I just think that I think Big Ben might have a year much like um um uh, much like Drew Brees just did and you know and and just sort of go out knowing that he's he's hit his limit his time he's done in the NFL and, and fair play to him he's had a hell of a career you know he's played in the NFL for as long as he has um but I think this is the end of that Pittsburgh sort of dynasty, do you want to call it that, of, of franchise of Big Ben being the face of it? And I think they could certainly have a new quarterback next year. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Better. I think the um, I think the thing for me that was the sort of obvious weakness for the Steelers last year was the offensive line. Um, you look at the moves that have been made this year um, in terms of the off-season, it doesn't bode well, does it? You know, Marquise Pouncey retiring, David DeCastro I don't know if he's officially retired yet, but he's certainly been released and everybody expects a retirement. If it hasn't already happened, will be forthcoming. Um, Matt Feeler, Andre Villanueva, um, you know, both played significant amount of time in the tackle positions last year and they've both departed also. So you kind of just think to yourself who he's actually going to be 
protecting Big Ben. Um, and as you say, you know, he, he wouldn't seem almost impossible to bring down, even if somebody got to him. But like you say, age, certainly, you know, not on his side. He's never moved well, let's be honest. That's not his strength. But like I say, he's always had a decent offensive line in front of him. And because of the sheer size of the man, he's just always been a difficult man to bring to the ground. But, um, you know, bringing the likes of Zach Banner, Trey Turner onto the offensive line, um, you know, lots of things need to click um, there for Pittsburgh to, to sort of be in anything like a decent position. Let's have a look then at a couple of players in particular to sort of look out for, potentially from positive and negative points of view, players that uh, need to up the game, but certainly some players that uh, we can look forward to from a neutral perspective. Josh, take us through a couple of your selections, mate. Yeah, so the one to look out for, I think, and this is very much looking at a change of scheme for Pittsburgh in recent years, Najee Harris, the, uh, the rookie pickup. Let's face it, Pittsburgh needs to go to the ground a lot more. Um, that was something of which was brought up quite a lot through the season. And especially as we talk now about Big Ben being a lot more fragile, you know, you need to be able to rely on the run game a lot more because Roethlisberger was throwing it, you know, 60, 70 times in some games. You know, it's uh, it's not sustainable, particularly for a man of that age. So, you know, you need a, you need a running back that they can rely on. And Paris is definitely that. I think Harris could end up being a bit like um, um, a bit like Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas. I think he could hit the ground with a lot of carries early on, and I think to to make up for Roethlisberger's dwindling sort of ability and and ability, which is you know you look at that uh, wide receiver room and you know you can't say they've got bad wide receivers that you know they're certainly not dreadful and you know if, if Roethlisberger is going to start struggling they're going to hit the ground a lot more and I think Harris is, is I don't know I don't know if it's good to give a rookie all of the carries immediately um you know and they don't really have uh, another yeah they don't really have the depth to share it around so they don't they're not going to call for like a a twin sort of approach like some teams do um so yeah I think he's going to get a lot of carries early so yeah there's certainly one to watch I mean, I think even if you just shave off a third of the throws that he's making, because that's what it came down to, and he admitted it himself, it came down to fatiguing his arm because he was throwing it way too much. You're throwing it 50, 60 times a game for 17, 18 games. Have fun. Good luck. You've got a 38-year-old arm. Um, on, the, uh, on the switch side, person who's got real hot seat uh, potential... I spoke about the petulance and the believing your own hype earlier on, and I'm going to Juju Smith-Schuster. So he really did become a star, didn't he, last year? Just not in the right way. And uh, so um, the former wide receiver and current TikTok extraordinaire, Juju Smith-Schuster, he tried free agency, failed, uh, came back to Pittsburgh on a relatively team-friendly one-year deal. He's got to ball out. He's got to absolutely ball out and bail out Big Ben. Oh, God, that's a good headline. Wish I'd use that in the guide now. Um, got to bail out Big Ben in some of these passing downs because he he is the main guy to go to still. You know, you've got Chase Claypool there, for example, and a couple of others, but Smith Schuster's probably still your your number one wide receiver. So 
yeah, he's going to have to ball out and prove that he is more than just a guy who dances on logos and takes the piss out of a team that's going to beat him in the playoffs. And you feel like in Pittsburgh, there's still that shadow of Antonio Brown in the wide receiver room. Yeah. And if he can, if he can step into that mold and be that number one, you know, that Devonte Adams or that DeAndre Hopkins style number one wide receiver, then he could earn himself a big contract. You know, he's in, he's in that one year prove it deal that a lot of players are on this year, and it's yeah, it, it, it's a make or break. If he if he plays well, then he could see himself earn a, a lot of money. You know, like it's like Kenny Galladay money. You know, next yeah. year for, so certainly so. But he also needs to shut up. Yes, he need he needs to you know using it in a completely different context. He needs to shut up and dribble. You know, he needs Do to you... be able to to prove it. Do your talking on the field, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, he certainly does need to. Like you say, Big Ben needs to throw it less as well. Um, I worry a little bit for Najee Harris just based on like, what I said about the offensive line. I need to see what that offensive line actually yeah. does when it's on the field. To be honest, we all can really make too many judgments. But um, 68 times Big Ben threw in the uh, wildcard defeat. 68 times. Um but then that's not a sustainable way for, for Pittsburgh to win, like I say, certainly not with uh, Ben in his 39th year. Um, let's move on, fellas, then around the division. The team that finished second after a five-game winning streak to close out the regular season at the back end of last season is the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, let's face it, they have been arch rivals with Pittsburgh, it seems, for this division for basically the entire, you know, certainly the last five or six years um, Cincinnati was sort of sniffing in and around it for a, a short period of time but um, you know, it certainly seems to have been either Baltimore or Pittsburgh recently most people probably tipped up Baltimore pre-season last time around most people probably think Baltimore will finish above Pittsburgh again this time around I would probably suggest um, but Steve how do you see it for, for Baltimore coming off an 11-5 season last time? Yeah, I think Baltimore's stock is is still pretty high. I mean, they they went into the season last year five and one up, up to the bye week, and that's a pretty good record because I mean, their only loss was to a, to a Kansas City team that eventually went to the ball game. So you know they they started well and they just had that period of losses. They lost four in five after their bye week. It's never good to lose after a bye, coming off a bye week. So you know they need to they need to improve and they need to get Jackson throwing the ball more. Um, you know, he's, I know that there a lot of people talk about is Lamar Jackson really a throwing quarterback, or is he, you know, is do they is he just there for his elusiveness and, and his ability to evade pressures and, and and create plays with his feet, which is obviously a great trait to have, and that's fantastic. Um, but you know, you look at their uh, at their. Uh, schedule for the for the 2021 season um and it doesn't it doesn't get easy very quickly you know they they start at las vegas but then they instantly play kansas city after that um and and you know if if they go one and one going at detroit and you know those that i know we've just discussed how awful detroit are but it, you know if you go into that sort of tough battle against a team that's just struggling it, you know if you slip up you know, which we've seen teams do in the past. You know, if, you're, if you start the season one and two and you're supposed to be an AFC favourite, that's not a good look. It's not a good look at all. Um, you know, so a lot is going to be is going to be said of Baltimore. I think they never quite get there. And 
I don't know. I don't really know what the what the missing piece is because obviously they've got the quarterback to, nailed down now. Um, you know they've got reliable receivers in 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 the form of Brown and, and certainly tight ends and Mark Andrews as we discussed a couple of weeks back. You know and they've got a good running back room as well. You know they carry the ball well. Not only does Jackson carry the ball well, but Dobbins and and Gus Edwards. You know they they certainly carry the ball well. Um, you know so I, I they're in a really really tough division and it'll be interesting to see how they get out of it. The Ravens carry the ball well. Shock. I feel like it's the only thing they do. No, but um, no, I think that yeah, you're right. It's definitely more of a case of elevating the passing game because the good teams know how to defend against the Ravens. That's the thing. They might be high-scoring games, but they know how to get the two or three stops. That will be important. And that is what that that is basically how you beat the Ravens. You get the stops that you need, and then you take advantage of it, and then you go ahead. Lamar Jackson's got a terrible record going behind. Um, if you go behind by ten points, he doesn't get back from it much. I think he's only won one game where they've um, gone behind by ten points. It's not a massive um, cross section of games, but you know it's something. It's a trait. Um, so, yeah, you've got that, uh, which I feel is very important. And, uh, yeah, it is about the passing game because, you know, teams are just stacking the box. And you stack the box and you mark you, you mark, mark Andrews out of the game. Then all of a sudden you're, you're relying on your wide receivers getting open. So they do need to... They do need to share that out. One thing which I will say before we move on, just about Baltimore season last year, it was low-key messed up last year. The Ravens had a lot of COVID issues. Um, you know, they had to have a, their game against the Steelers rearranged three times, I think it was. Um, there was a few other issues. And then as soon as that hit, they really felt the repercussions of rescheduled games and... You know, Lamar Jackson obviously had a bout of it and he had a bout of something else against the Browns, for example. And, you know, I, I just don't feel like it was the most harmonious time for the Ravens. So that's probably why you saw them tail off towards the end of the year. But uh, no, I feel like they're still going to be um, they're still going to be a top team this year. I'm thinking something along the line of 12, 13 wins this year, almost easy. I think that even though, you know, they've got KC first, you're probably looking nine and one before they hit into anything. And and one thing we almost haven't even mentioned with with Baltimore because the talk is always about Lamar Jackson is their defense. Their defense yeah. is something else, and it, that defense bails them out of. I mean, not bails them out, but certainly wins them games a lot. They have got an incredibly good defense, and they're difficult to throw against. You know that secondary is is excellent, and you know their linebackers, Elger Fort, Patrick Queen. You know they they they've got some really talented players in that backfield. Um, you know, so if if the offense can get rolling a bit more, like you said, create that passing game and get it going, I agree. I could see I could see Baltimore winning thirteen maybe 14 games you know they're yeah. they're certainly capable of doing it and and Lamar Jackson's in a in a, in a sort of a year where he's got to he's got to prove him you know he's seen guys like um uh you know like Josh Allen and 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 others have contracts put in front of them with these astonishing numbers this is his prove it year you know if you want that contract take us to the Super Bowl you know he's still getting yeah, that def- contract yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see whether this transition to more of an expected aerial attack does work. Um, I think I've been quite vocal in the past. I think it seems to be something that the 
front office are pretty set on doing. I think whenever the Ravens go away from what works best for them, they tend to suffer. You know, I've always just been of the mindset of, you know, keep doing what works for you until somebody else can prove that they can stop it. Nobody seemingly can stop them from running the ball. Um, you know, obviously no surprise to see them leading the league last year first in terms of yards per game at 192 rushing yards per game last year, which is just phenomenal when you think about it. Um, you know, particularly when it's pretty much a three-headed attack last year. You know, it's not like they've got one completely dominant player. It's, you know, effectively a scheme design, isn't it? You know, like you said, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins still there. Obviously, Mark Ingram gone now, but he had his share of carries last year. Um, so, really interesting to see how that transition happens. Um, the end of the schedule is really where we're going to sort of find out how serious the Ravens are, I think, for the postseason. After week 11, they get Pittsburgh twice, Cleveland twice. Um, they get Green Bay and LA um, Rams as well in that sort of um, seven-week stretch. So that's going to really sort of separate whether they are genuine Super Bowl contenders or not. They, they can't afford to, in my opinion, lose the sort of three or four games in the middle of the season that they did last year. I can't see them ending the season with another five or six game win streak with that schedule on tap for them. But um, let's talk about a few individual players then, Josh, um, for the Ravens to look out for. Who have you, uh, you penciled in for these? Yeah, so the main one to look out for, I think, if we're not talking about quarterbacks, because obviously that would be the the easy uh, the, the the easy way out for this one. But uh, Marquise Brown, um, I think, is in line for a real make it or break it sort of season. But you know, I f- I feel like he'll do well. Uh, just to give you his stat line last year. Uh, 58 receptions for 769 yards and eight touchdowns. Do you know who else had 58 receptions last year? Mark Andrews. You know, you're giving your main wide out the same amount of receptions as your tight end. So I feel like that needs to change. And Marquise Brown probably wants the challenge. He probably wants the challenge and he wants to step up to it. In which case, let's see it. Because that's that line for your for your for your number one wide out. Concerning really, but it's not his fault. So let's see how he does with that. I think there was times last season, wasn't there, where he was actually vocally frustrated at how much they weren't throwing to him. I've, I seem to remember some social media post or something about being frustrated about it, and you can't really blame him. Like he, I think he's got the ability, you'd say there, he's certainly got the ability, but if you don't throw the ball, he can't catch it. So, you know, it's, exactly. a, it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Like I said five minutes ago, my eye gets drawn to Andrews before it gets drawn to, to Brown. How is that possible? How is that possible when you're looking at the pass game that your eye gets drawn to your tight end before it gets drawn to your main wideout? But uh, yeah, and then that leads me on to my guy on the hot seat. And for a second pod in a row, I'm going to cheat a little bit and pick a coach. Uh, Greg Roman. Passing game's got to happen. Come on, Greg. It's got to happen. Personally, from a Homer perspective, I hope it doesn't happen. But... For Baltimore and for them to get to the next level, the passing game needs to work. You need to get Lamar comfortable with passing the ball and not constantly cheating and using his legs. Oh, sorry. That was a little subjective. 
Yeah, I, I, it's like I say, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I keep coming back to it. For me, Greg Roman's job is just to get the offence ticking, and if the offence gets ticking by running the ball, then so be it. I just, it does seem to be this sort of preconception that they have to do one thing or another. Um, interested with your selection of Marquise Brown. I think, you know, he, if anything, potentially sees his targets eaten into this year with Sammy Watkins. And obviously the pickup of Rashad Bateman in the draft. Um, you know, there's, I mean, it may actually benefit Brown to play a little bit more from the slot, as opposed to on the outside. He's not the biggest guy, sort of from a physical perspective. So maybe being in the slot will, you know, utilise his quickness, um, you know, in and out of his routes a little bit more um, potentially. But I, I, I just like I say for for me, I, I just it's frustrating for me as a rival fan when it seems as though all they do is rush the ball, but they are so effective at rushing the ball. I just do not see why there is this belief that they have to do something else. That five-game win streak to end the season was essentially built on the back of running the football. Um, And generally speaking, you can pretty much look through Lamar Jackson's career. If he throws the ball more than 25 or 30 times a game in general, it's not a good outcome for the Baltimore Ravens. I don't understand why you would try and do different. Josh, you're absolutely dying to come back in and make a point, so go on. I really am. So you can get the offence going against the -the run-of-the-mill teams and the teams that you should beat and all the rest of it. But when it comes to the crunch games and to the ones where you can't afford to lose drives, you have to be less predictable. If the best teams can just stack the box or keep a QB spy or someone on on the QB and know that nine times out of ten they're going to go for the rush, you have to be better at scheming. You just have to. It's something that Baltimore have fallen on time and time again, but they won't listen to it because the numbers work, because they still see him running into the end zone. It doesn't work long term. You know, by by all means have it, but the big teams are going to get you in the end. After after week one last year, when Lamar Jackson threw for 275 yards, he didn't throw for more than 250 yards again the entire season <laughs> in a game. That's astonishing. Like, you know, that's astonishing that he never got above that. And he had some games where he, he barely eclipsed 100. Um, you know, and in in the game they lost in, in the playoffs against Buffalo, they only scored three points. And Jackson threw for 162 yards. You know, I agree with you, Josh. I absolutely agree. I think they need to be a bit more three-dimensional and they need to have a a way of winning games that isn't just running the ball down a team's throat all the time. You know, I think you could probably make a lot of comparisons to Tennessee. You know, they've got that great running back who's really good at running the ball, but they also air it out a lot and they they do have success in in the passing game as well. And, you know, it's a bit of a different beast because... Uh, Baltimore can can rush at you with with several different guys, but they have to get the passing game going and to someone other than Mark Andrews. They have to if they yeah. want to get to the ball game, and that's what this is all about. You know, it's all well and good at winning thirteen games a season and getting into the playoffs, but then if you can't do anything with that winning record and you end up getting dumped out in the divisional round, what's it all been for? Yeah, it's all about variety, but also how boring must it be to be a Ravens fan at the moment? Like, I get the whole winning thing, and it's good to watch Lamar Jackson get past four or five guys that are, like, four times heavier than him. But, my God, I'd be so bored if it was constantly rushing. The Browns had to rush in four games straight, pretty much, because of bad weather. And 
I was close to being bored to tears, even though we were winning. You know, you need a passing attack just to be entertaining, I think. You know, at the end of the day, we're in an entertainment business as well, as well as a win business. You know, give, give me something to shout about. I don't, I don't disagree with anything that you've said, guys, and I think there are franchises that's going to split some opinion for that very reason. I think the interesting thing is, I think we're all in agreement that Lamar Jackson is going to get paid, and he's going to get paid very, very, very handsomely. Um, he's going to get paid based on what he has done, and what he has done is essentially had a fantastic regular season record because of those rushing statistics. You know, let's not forget, you know, another thousand yard rushing season. Um, and this is why, like I say, he's a player that splits opinion. If you just sort of go down the line of, well, really, he's a running back playing the quarterback position, you just get accused of being quite naive. Um, you know, but on the flip side of it, as you just said there, to you know, to get over the hump, he's going to have to throw the ball with more success on a more regular basis. I don't think there's any dispute in that whatsoever. But as I said, if you just look back at the games that the Ravens have lost when Lamar Jackson has been playing, just take the three that he was involved in last year. He threw 28 passes in a loss against Pittsburgh. He threw 34 passes in a loss um, and he threw 29 passes in a loss, you know. In any game that the Ravens won, the only game that the Ravens won when he threw for more passes was he threw 37 against Cincinnati in week five, and that was the only game where he threw more than that, and they actually won a game. He only completed 19 of those 37, one of his worst percentages completion-wise. Um and that's why he's very much a polarising figure. He's obviously, you know, like I say, got all the bells and whistles and gets statistics probably in the wrong columns that you'd traditionally want a quarterback to get the, the statistics in. Um, but, you know, we're three years in now. I honestly don't think an awful lot is going to change. We'll wait and see what happens. Um, but like I say, for me, you know, they've gone all in on making the franchise suit his style of play. And I think they've got their bed and they need to lie in it. Josh, very quickly, and then we're going to move on to Cleveland. Yeah, like, like I said, I don't think that you're wrong in that. And, you know, Baltimore will have plenty of success doing that because that's what they've built themselves upon and they're pretty damn difficult to stop. I just think that there is a ceiling and they are hitting it repeatedly with hammers. So, you know, you, you, you need to break that ceiling and that will only come by throwing a ball through it. I agree. I quite like that, actually. That was completely accidental. <laughs> I'm glad I let you come back in and make that point, mate. Right, let's get to the bit that me and you have been looking forward to. Steve, try and stop us, mate, getting too carried away. We're going to talk Cleveland, um, obviously off the back of the first winning season um, since 2007, 11-5. and 11-5 and still only finished third. Still can't believe that to today, but there you are. That's the reality of it. We'll obviously benefit this year. They were supposed to be having a slightly easier schedule because they'll get third-place teams um, from the respective divisions as well. So you could say that even that's worked out in Cleveland's favour. Um, so, Josh, you know, give us an overview of the Browns, where you think they are heading. Right. So I am a perennial, a perennial pessimist when it comes to the Browns. I still need time to actually get over the fact that we have a roster where people are putting us in for deep runs in January and even a potential visit in February. I can't actually process that. So I am going to be able to temper myself quite a bit. If you look at the 11 and 5 last year, I think that, you know, there were some games where we, 
there were a couple of games where we probably made too much of a meal out of games that we won, and there were some games where we shouldn't have lost. Um, you know, I think that, like everyone else, we faced issues, but I think that that very much got put to bed with the playoffs. Um, I think the key thing with the Browns this year is going to be the defence. I think that the offence will probably continue in the same manner that it did last year. A nice two-pronged approach. Um, you know, I think Baker... Mayfield put a lot of critics to, well, maybe not to bed, but at least put them in the waiting room for a little bit. Um, with his performance last year, I think he did really well in the new scheme. And he's finally going to get a second year in a single scheme, of which if you've been following the Browns or even know of the Browns, that is unheard of in Cleveland. Um, I think the last time we had a second year scheme was 2012, 13. So it's been a while. Um, and then, yeah, so the defense, it was one of the worst defenses in the league last year. You wouldn't think they were an 11 and 5 record, but we were something like 27th um, in past defense, especially. And we brought in so many new players in order to actually fix that gap. Um, it was the main thing that stopped us advancing against Chiefs in the divisional round. The fact that Mahomes literally could do whatever the hell he wanted until he got injured. And then Chad Henney could do pretty much whatever the hell he wanted, even if that included throwing it to some of our guys. Um, you know, so that was obviously the key flaw. Um, future's bright, pretty much. Um, it looks like we've got a GM that actually does something that, uh, you know, he actually looks at flaws and fixes them. You know, even with the acquisition of Owasu Koromora in the second round, he went after a need to go against the Ravens. You know, he was drafted to bring down Lamar Jackson, pretty much. You know, let's not beat around the bush. He is the quick QB spy that can also go into pass protection. So, yeah. Future's bright. I see a relatively similar season this year, just because of the fact that the strength of schedule is actually still quite tough. You know, we play the. Um, I keep saying we. I'm sorry. I am a. I am a homer at heart. Um, you know, it's the AFC West and the NFC North, so still relatively difficult um, in terms of strength of schedule. So twelve wins. That's about the same as an eleven and five last year. So twelve and uh, twelve and five this year seems about right. I'm I'm the neutral in this one, as we all know, and i i can't I can't help but look at Cleveland this year and think this is it. Like this is the year that you have to go out and prove. I'm not no, I'm not I'm not saying this is the year they do it. I'm saying this is the year that they go out and they have to prove it. Mm. If you look down that depth chart, every single position has a position of strength. And it's and it's been a long time since I'm sure you two could say that about a Cleveland team. Yeah, you know every single position there, uh, pretty much bar a couple, but pretty much every single one of the 22 starters, you'd look at that and go, yeah, I'd have him in my team. You know, yeah, I'd have him starting, you know, which, whichever position. Um, you know, and you've got people like Odell Beckham Jr. coming back. Um, you know, um, uh, Greedy Williams was it Greedy Williams or was it Grant yeah. Delpit that was out? Greedy Williams was out. Uh, both, out, um, both were out. Both were out injured as well. You know, got you got them them coming back from the famous LSU D, uh, DBU as they call themselves. So, you know, they they they've you've got that strength of of the of the roster, and I think my only concern with Cleveland to look at it from a purely objective perspective is 
have you got enough in the quarterback to get you over the hump of the games that are going to come when it matters? You know, you look at, you look at the likes of say, for example, Kansas city, you know, um, Kansas city have enough strength in, uh, in their quarterback because he will go out and win them games. He will single handedly win them a game of football. Can Baker Mayfield do that? I don't know. I, and that's that's what would concern me as a Browns fan. Everything else, I think, is there and it's ready. And I th- and you know, I think the Browns can really go far. But can Baker Mayfield elevate them to that next level? Yeah, he had the chance, for example, in that drive right towards the end of the game against the Chiefs last year. And I imagine that that's just been playing on his mind on repeat all summer. So you're right; it is very much that as the main question, I think. And then they meet in week one. Yes, they do. <laughs> they open the season. Oh, not the best time to play the Chiefs. Uh, Sean, seeing as you're the one that's actually got the players for this one, uh, give us a player that you like to um, for us to highlight, and then one that's on the hot seat. Yeah, so I'm going to go a little bit left field with the selection for Cleveland, probably because I've got a bit more knowledge at the back end of the depth chart being a fellow homer um, and a guy that's been lighting it up throughout training camp, potentially could be elevating himself into significant snaps at the wide receiver position. He's Donovan Peoples-Jones, picked in the sixth round of the 2020 draft. Saw some limited opportunities in his rookie season. Only had 14 receptions, but turned that into 304 yards um, to go with two touchdowns. And the two touchdowns were two of the Browns' bigger touchdowns of the year through the air. Um, The longest pass of the season, the 75-yarder on the road to Tennessee, um, when he was actually the only wide receiver running a route on that particular play. Um, And the game winner against the Bengals in the backwards and forwards game that ended 37-34. He caught the winner um, with a few seconds remaining. Um, Flashed, like I say, plenty of potential during his rookie campaign. And everything that is coming out of the press and the media seems to be that he's, you know, quote-unquote, turning heads at training camp. We've seen plenty of people turn heads before, and it hasn't necessarily turned into anything when the regular season action comes around. But I think there's every chance that the Browns need to think about moving on from at least one of OBJ and Jarvis Landry next year. You're not going to be able to afford to pay everybody. Um, And I think there's certainly every chance that one, if not both, of those two potentially could be moved on from. Obviously, interested to see OBJ back after his injury last year. Um, obviously, again, things are looking quite positive on that front. But like I say, a bit of a um, left-field selection and a name that maybe uh, not many would have heard of. Um, but like I say, Donovan Peoples-Jones potentially wants to, to keep an eye out on. Yeah. Um, one thing definitely about Donovan Peoples-Jones as well is that he seems to be the guy that Baker can trust in the clutch. So... Two the, the two touchdowns of which you talk about, um, you know, the Tennessee one, that was the touchdown that pretty much started to drag the cart horse away from Tennessee. You know, it, it was that that was the touchdown that sort of really hammered it home to the Titans that they weren't going to get anything in that game. Uh, and then obviously the Bengals one. I mean, it's such a tight window. The fact that he was able to bring it in and keep his feet in bounds as well. Pretty much as the seconds tick down, as a rookie, that's the kind of touchdown that you dream about. So, 
yeah, to, to say that he had a, a subdued but momentous rookie season, you know, whilst being completely obscured, really, he was a sixth round pick. He, he barely made the depth chart, but I reckon that he will be probably the third wide receiver ahead of Higgins this year. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good shout. And then uh, who's your who's your hot seat one? I think I can think of two or three, and I think you've touched on one, but I don't think you're going to give it to him. Mm, well, we'll wait and see. Then I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit and give it to a group, but it's it's two players in the same position group. I'm going to go with the the two tight ends, um, Austin Hooper and David Njoku. Um, Austin Hooper was probably the marquee free agent signing of um, two off seasons ago. Now um, paid a lot of money. Hasn't necessarily turned that into an awful lot on the field. 55 receptions, 497 yards and five touchdowns. If you include the two postseason games at the back end of last year, um, they're not the numbers that you expect when you're throwing that kind of money at him. I think he's a very, very good player. He's an underrated blocker, um, and that is important at the tight end position, but you don't throw the kind of cash that Cleveland have at a blocking tight end. You're bringing somebody in to hopefully dominate um, against safeties and, and win one-on-one matchups against linebackers. Um, so Hooper is one that I think needs to improve. The other one in that group is David Njoku, who he, he seems to have a core set of support within a group of, of Browns fans that seem to think that because he's this young athletic player that he should automatically therefore be on the field for every snap and he should be utilised more often. We're now into the fourth year of David Njoko's career. He's played 49 career games, so we're into his fifth year. Um, So far in his career, he's only amassed 112 receptions for 1,279 yards, um, 11 touchdowns over that four-year span. To put it into context, Travis Kelsey's numbers for last season were more than those. Now, I know Travis Kelsey's a far superior player, but... The way that some people talk about David Njoku, it's almost as though he could and potentially should be sort of being talked around in that kind of company. For me, he's never really, you know, done it. Um, he occasionally pulls off a wonder catch and then he'll drop one that's extremely easy and he, he's quite a frustrating player. Um, he made some murmurs about wanting to be traded last year. Hasn't necessarily done that this off season. Um, but, you know, I think he's a player that, um, you know, along with Hooper, I think they're expecting more from that tight end group. So they they would be the position group that um, I would expect to see a bit more from uh, for Cleveland. I'm a little bit shocked by that one, actually, just because Stefanski likes the, uh, the two tight end approach. But like you say, with contracts coming up as well, that will be an important one. I actually thought you were going to go with, uh, with OBJ and Landry just to see if, uh, because obviously they're going to have to prove that they can still do it uh, in order to either gain money elsewhere or prove that they deserve money here, well, in Cleveland. So, um, yeah, interesting one there. The one thing on Njoku that I would say just before I go and hand it off to Steve, who looks like he's burning for a question, um, is that Njoku did actually have a really good end of the season. Um, he, in the last, I think it was four or five games, he did come up with consistent catches, of which helped sustain, sustain drives. And I think that that was more the fact that he'd earned Stefanski's trust in the passing game. I think it took a while for him to obtain that. Now, obviously, when you're a fourth-year 
tight end and you're a first round pick, you should be able to do that without even a second glance. But uh, it's potential that you do actually see his stock rising because I don't see what one's probably got to go. One's probably got to go because of Bryant, who's also there and probably also should be on the hot seat as well because is he the guy as well? But uh, that could be for a tight end pod, maybe. Steve, you're chomping at the bit, mate. You go ahead. I'm just conscious that if we keep going with Cleveland, it might last about four hours, this podcast. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> no, the question I want to ask you both, I can't. we can't pass up this opportunity, both being Cleveland fans. We all saw the year that Cleveland had last year and the glimpses that they showed that they they have it in them and we've just talked about the players they've got and you look at this AFC and we've talked about the AFC being as stacked as it is you know teams like the Chiefs and the Titans and the Ravens and the Bills and then also up and comers like the Chargers and you know that the Steelers are going to be in the conversation the Dolphins might even be there it's a stacked conference can they go all the way not will they can they do you want to say that first Sean uh, yeah, I can give you a simple answer if you like and just say yes. Um, I think they can. Um, I think I trust this coaching staff um, more than I've trusted any coaching staff that we've put together previously. Um, just even like the coverage from pre-season and hearing some of the, you know, the NFL beat writers that have been around the team for the last decade saying that the, you know, the difference in approach is noticeable that the, the gap that was once there to the Steelers and the Ravens just doesn't exist anymore. Um, I think the biggest weakness last year by far, by far was the defensive side of the ball. And you can pretty much go through every single move that has been made this year. It's really to address that side of the ball. You know, Greg Newsom in the draft, Awusa Kuramura in the draft, John Johnson in free agency, you know, Jadavian Clowney again. I know it's pre-season. I know it's training camp. Let's see it on the field. But it sounds as though he's been reborn. You know, it, it, it seems as though our um, offensive line are having real difficulty containing Clowney and Miles Garrett and, if our offensive line is the number one ranked offensive line from last year, then that obviously bodes well moving into the season. So, yes, I think they can. Do I think they will? Yeah, why not? Josh? See, this is why I wanted you to come in first with your eternal optimism before I just sort of put the brakes on just a little bit. Um, can they? Well, put it this way. In terms of the can they, I think they should have this year. This, this last season. I think that they should have beaten Kansas City when Henny went into the game. I personally think that the Browns would have beaten the Bills in the in the conference game. And I think that they would have taken, you know, they'd have, they'd have at least taken Tampa to blows. You know, Tampa, whilst they have got a great team and they're returning everybody, you know, they, they lost to some average teams last year. So, you know, it, it was more than plausible that if you stuck the Browns in against the Bills and then the Bucks, that they could have done it. So to answer that one, yes, I think they can. As to whether they will, one thing of which I will recommend to anybody listening to this, it's a um, it's a 30 for 30 from ESPN called Believeland. And uh, it is a really interesting documentary. Um, about just like Cleveland sports history and about how it's a city that is almost built on nearly there, nearly but not quite. It goes through 
you know, the drive of which was the um, the famous one with uh, Denver, um, Red Right 88 of against the Raiders, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I can just see that something in the back of my brain is just telling me that there's something there and I can't shake it. Just the pessimist in me. Let's see oh, if they not can long. handle that pressure. Yeah, yeah, not long to wait now. And like you say, certainly probably the highlight of the week one in that late window, isn't it? Uh, the rematch from last year's divisional round. Let's move on then to the final team in the division yes, in terms of last year's standings. And that is, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals. Finished last year with a 4-11 and 1 record. I, I do wish they'd get rid of ties in the NFL. Can we just have like a field goal penalty shootout or something? I hate a tie in the NFL, but that's a whole different story. Um, that but yeah, was against Philadelphia and... as well. It was painful. It was, it was indeed. 4-11 and 1, um, which takes Zach Taylor's record in two years to 6-25 and 1. So um, I can probably preempt who somebody may have picked to be on the hot seat, but we'll wait and see when we get to that uh, little section. But um, Josh, let's come to you um, just to give us a bit of an overview on the Cincinnati Bengals. Seemingly, for my money, a team that have made a, a fairly decent set of moves in the off-season, although some of them have probably raised a few eyebrows as well. Yeah, so for anyone that was listening through to the draft coverage, um, I consistently raise eyebrows at the fact that the Bengals decided not to boost their O-line straight away and did seem to lose out quite a bit in terms of those stakes. They've brought in Riley Reef, for example, but I do think that there's still holes there. And then you hear a lot about uh, training camp where, Joe Burrow is having some mental issues when it comes to feeling confident in the pocket. I don't think that's all the injury. I think that that's the fact that his pocket is disintegrating um, because surely there's some PTSD there. How many hits did he take last season? Was it over under a thousand? Um, because that's how it must have felt to him. Um, yeah, I think that Cincinnati have made good moves. They've got a really nice squad. Um, in terms of the offense, it's actually quite sexy. Uh, in terms of the weapons that they've got now, I just don't think they're going to protect Burrow enough for him to feel comfortable to make the plays he's going to need to play. Everyone's looking at Burrow versus Chase, but he's—I mean, sorry, Burrow and Chase. Burrow versus Chase—that would be interesting. But uh, you know. I don't think that we're going to be able to see a lot of it because the pocket's going to disintegrate too much. Um, what doesn't help as well is that they're in a stacked division, they're in a stacked conference, and they're playing a stacked NFC division as well. Everything screams terrible from a schedule aspect. And for that, I could probably only give probably about five to six wins, and that's probably more on the generous side i know that they got what they got last year but the schedule was so much nicer last year they really they weren't that good so yeah there's um i don't see a lot of hope for them this year but it's kind of not their fault if that makes sense like better times are ahead i just don't see it this year it's it's a really good point about joe borrow and and the 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 decision that you have to make as a front office versus the trenches versus the the skill player that's inevitably going to be there when you pick in the top six. Um, you know, I get why they picked Jamar Chase. He's obviously a generational yeah. receiving talent. And I completely understand that. But 
when your quarterback goes down with a torn ACL and MCL and you know and ends his season because of how much the pocket collapsed I just can't ignore that like and you mentioned how many times Joe Burrow went down in the Philadelphia game I know because obviously they're my team they absolutely dominated and they had eight sacks in the game they sacked Joe Burrow eight times in one game that was Philadelphia Philadelphia finished 4-11-1 and won, the same as Cincinnati did so you know they're hardly one of the the, the top teams in the league last year um you know, and, and I would be really concerned, especially that report. I know it's preseason. I know we've just said you take it all with a pinch of salt, but I'd be really concerned with that report coming out about him, you know, not necessarily yeah. being confident. I like the Riley Reef signing. I think that's a good signing in a really good 2020. But, you know, I, 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 I've said it earlier, as I did in the last podcast, I'm a believer in building from the trenches. And yes, it might not have been the sexy pick, but if you can sure up that offensive line, Lines win matches. I watched a Philadelphia Eagles team win the Super Bowl in 2017 thanks to their offensive line. Lines win championships. They win matches. And I, it's so difficult because I get it. Chase is a great player and I think he will be really good in the NFL. And I think they will be better this year if they can keep Joe Burr upright. But that's the problem. Can they keep him upright? Yeah, they didn't need Chase. That was the thing. They didn't need Chase. They needed a good offensive lineman. And I think that's going to be the, the issue that we see in plenty of games this season. Yeah, 32 sacks is uh, the final stat line for Joe Burrow's rookie season. Bear in mind, that's obviously only in 10 games, well, nine and however you know, long he, he obviously lasted into the uh, the 10th game. Um, so it is certainly an area of concern. It's seemingly been an area of concern, like you say, for some time now. Um, and obviously, it was obviously a big talking point, wasn't it, on draft night? Um, so there's probably pressure there for on Jamar Chase to start performing from day one. But um, Steve, you're going to take us through a couple of players that you've uh, sort of picked out to, to, to sort of watch and players that are potentially, like you say, on the on the hot seat. Yeah, just just quickly to top off that, I'd, I'd say that Joe Burrow injury was brutal as well. Yeah, that was horrible, it really, really, was. really bad. Um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see how he comes into this season. And it, I think he probably will start game week one, but it'd be interesting to see if he does. Um, in terms of in terms of players to watch this season, I am gonna go in the wide receiver room, but I'm not gonna pick Jamar Chase. I'm gonna pick T Higgins. From what I've heard about and seen from from um from Cincinnati's camp he's apparently having a bit of a breakout camp and again you know the obvious you know the the, the pinch of salt applies again because it's just camp but he's having a good camp and I think he's that second year player could have a bit of a breakout year and if he can form that chemistry with Joe Burrow I think T Higgins, T. Higgins could boost himself up that roster and become that sort of wide receiver one until we know what Jamar Chase is in the NFL because I know Jamar Chase has got a lot of fans but he's still a rookie you know he's never done the NFL yet so let's see what he can do but I think yeah I'd say I'd say T Higgins as, as a one to watch uh, I was going to say the other thing on Jamar Chase as well not to forget is he obviously didn't play at all last year so um, you know, I think anyone expected him to come in and hit the ground running. He he might well do, like you say. You know, he's, he's certainly got the talent to do it. But um, you know, we shouldn't also underestimate the fact that he hasn't played football in a long, long time, and certainly never played it at the NFL level. So, T Higgins, I, I agree, mate. You know, had a very, very promising rookie season. So, we'd expect him to take a, a leap in his second year. 
and that and that's something that's gone really under the radar that I think not enough people are talking about. There's a lot of players, including college players that have now been drafted, that didn't play in 2020. Not a snap. Mm. They didn't play a snap of football. And so, like, if you take Jamar Chase, his last game would likely have been the um, college um, championship against um, against Clemson, which was February 2019. I believe a lot has happened since then. Um, is it February 2019 or February February 20? A lot February 20. Sorry, a lot has happened since then. That's such a, such a long time ago. 18 months without a single snap of football competitively. That's a long time. And for any player coming back, I think that's that's it's going to be interesting to see how some of these players adapt after having a year out. I think some of them will benefit and will will be rested and will be you know and will will take off but some of them without having had that footballing experience will will could certainly struggle and i think you know yeah i think it's it's uh you you sort of took the words out of my mouth when you said this, the the uh the hot seat because i'm gonna have to join uh josh's train of picking coaches which i think might be a theme of these uh preview podcasts but i think it has to be zach taylor it has to be um because like you said that winning that with the winning that record that the the Bengals have now over the last two seasons is is not good and you know we've seen teams before where they've stuck with coaches that are going through a rebuild and they you know they give them some time you know and they give them maybe a couple of seasons to see what they're doing but you'd you'd say that he has to really get something out of this Cincinnati team this year and and if if we assume that there's no injuries and Burrow gets back to his self of last of the beginning of last season if Cincinnati can get to what six maybe seven wins is that was that I think that's probably progress maybe even five is probably progress but um you know they can't have another season where they're four four eleven and one you know they can't just slump to that again and obviously injuries aside if if they do unless there's been an injury to Burrow again which could raise even more questions um, you know, I think they've they've got to show progress. Otherwise, I think he could be very much uh, on the on the carousel again. Yeah, I think that in terms of um, what what counted progress, I I wouldn't look at totals this year. I'd look at the general vibe. So um, you know, the, the, there there is a huge issue when it comes to looking at the schedule and trying to pick out games where you need to show progress. You know, but at the very least beat Jacksonville, beat Detroit in some of the 50-50 games, at least go for it, you know, against the Raiders, you know, off your bye week, go to Las Vegas and win that, steal a game against the Steelers maybe, go up to Denver, you know, those are the sort of games, you know, they've got the Jets as well, you know, that, that could be, you know, that should be one of which they take. I think if, in fact, actually, I'll stick my neck out here, and I'll say that if they don't win three out of three against Jacksonville, Detroit, and the Jets, then by that bye week, Zach Taylor could be gone. Yeah, I think so, that's a safe, probably quite a safe assumption because by that, that's week ten as well. So by that point, and, and and if they don't win those games, you could legitimately see that they could be zero and nine. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and and, and they're, they're obviously in a difficult position, a position because the AFC North is arguably probably the toughest conference at the moment for a team to be bad in. And I'm not saying that the, the Bengals are particularly bad; they've got some good players, but they're going to struggle against Cleveland in both games. They're going to struggle against uh, Baltimore in both games. And you know, we've just spoken about the Steelers. You never count them out. So if they go 0 and 6 divisionally, that's going to be really tough to pick up any more wins from there. 
yeah, you've got to win the games that you that you must win, and you've got to at least be competitive in those that you're you know within three and a half points in the spread. Probably moves us on seamlessly, boys, as we're talking about the win totals for the Bengals then to round the pod off in terms of finishing positions in the division in terms of our predictions. So just a reminder in terms of what it was last year, um, 12 and 4, Steelers first, 11 and 5, Ravens second, 11 and 5, Cleveland third and 4, 11 and 1, the Bengals fourth. So, uh, Josh, let's start with you this time. Which uh, order do you see them finishing in this time around? Right, so I, I have Cleveland and Baltimore both on 12, um, and it will be entirely dependent on how they want to um, go about their head-to-heads as to who ends up uh, claiming the top spot there. Pittsburgh at 7.5 um, outside of the playoff chat. I know that in our last podcast we said that 7.5 could get you in, but it's not going to be the case in the AFC. I think you're going to need at least nine, maybe ten to be in the conversation there. Uh, and then Cincinnati, five wins. You're probably looking at, you know, top ten draft pick. Um, Cleveland, Baltimore, both win a playoff game at least. I, I could easily see one of them in the title game. Could see one of them in the Super Bowl. Don't want to think about that too much because I'll cry. But, you know, it is what it is. Steve? I think Cleveland wins the division. Um, I, I look at their schedule, and apart from games at Kansas City, Green Bay, and they're probably the ones that stick out, obviously, against the Baltimore divisional games as well. You know, maybe you flip one each with Baltimore, and then they could easily be 14 and 3, 13 and 4, easily around that level. So I think Cleveland wins the division. Um, and I think they'll be in the conversation for the for the AFC buy as well because there's only one buy these days. So mm. um, I think they could be in the conversation for that. I think uh, Baltimore props them up, and I don't think they'll be far behind. Maybe 11 or 12 wins. You know, maybe they could um, 11 with a 17 game season. So I think they'll be second. And then I think that I think it'll be Pittsburgh and and Cincinnati. But I actually I've got a feeling that I think Pittsburgh could have a losing record. It might be like an eight and nine, so you know, like a, yeah, that's what I've got a five hundred. Well, yeah. But I think, I think, I really do think Pittsburgh could have a losing record, like a, a seven and ten or an eight and nine. I think they're on a real downward trend. They're in a real cap hole this year, and they're they're really struggling with uh, with that. And and I just think, yeah, they they could be on a downward trend. And and I think over the next few years, you could see Pittsburgh and Cincinnati sort of flip, and Pittsburgh will be the one that'll go into the rebuild and. Cincinnati will start, you know, moving up the ranks. So yeah, I'd say Pittsburgh third, and then I think Cincinnati will will improve on last season, but not by much. And I think a lot depends on Joe Burrow. Yeah, Joe Burrow is obviously going to be massively important in terms of what Cincinnati do. Um, I'll round it off then. Won't surprise anyone listening. I'll take Cleveland to win the division as well. Um, I won't sit on that fence that Josh is on. I will split them. Um, and I do think that the scheduling has been extremely kind to Cleveland. Like I say, they get third-place teams as opposed to second-place teams. I also think, and we haven't really talked about it, we're not going to go into it now because we're already at an hour before the podcast, but um, Cleveland play Baltimore in back-to-back weeks, but the Browns have a bye week sandwiched in the middle of that. That's a massive, massive advantage in that bye week where Cleveland will be resting themselves. The Ravens play the Steelers. Um, I think that's a huge advantage for Cleveland. I refuse to um, jinx it. 
Yeah, look, it's an advantage. They've got to make it pay at the end of the day, um, you know, but it's certainly an advantage going in. Um, so I do think Cleveland wins it. I think Baltimore will be second. Um, I actually, I, I can see a situation that Cincinnati potentially finishes ahead of Pittsburgh. I was down on Pittsburgh last year and and was obviously, you know, you could say proved massively wrong with the start that they got off to, but they kind of finished the year as I thought they would be throughout the year. Um, and I I sort of look at all the teams throughout the off-season and I think, who's improved, who hasn't? And I look at all of the moves that the Pittsburgh Steelers have made, a lot of them enforced in terms of players retiring and that type of thing, as we've talked about previously. But they just don't seem, in my opinion, to have improved anywhere. You could make an argument at the running back position, um, and obviously we'll wait and see. But, you know, there's been many a running back drafted out of Alabama that hasn't worked out. So we'll wait and see what happens with Najee Harris. Um, I've got real concerns with that line, as we talked about when we were talking about them in depth. Um, you know, that that's obviously a massive concern. Um, obviously, Bud Dupree's moved on. Um, he obviously formed a good partnership with TJ Watt. Um, you know, he's gone. Um, Stephen Nelson in the backfield. Um, you know, I think that's another big loss um, that they've had. Um, I think he's actually ended up in Philadelphia. You now he was one of the late sort of free agent pickups, but uh, I'd imagine Steve's quite chuffed with that as a pickup because uh, he was certainly one of the, the better performers for Pittsburgh. So I, I just don't see areas of the field that they've improved upon. Um, and I think, like I said, there was a lot of a lot of bad signs at the back end of last year. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, you would probably say going into the season, they're certainly favoured to win more games than Cincinnati, but I don't think it will be the world's biggest surprise for Cincinnati to find themselves ahead. I think it all depends on how Cincinnati starts off, the schedule to start off for Cincinnati. They could potentially get a couple of wins on the board early doors. And if they do, that potentially breeds confidence. And confidence is obviously a massive thing. Any team playing with confidence, you know, who knows what they can do. You know, we, we talked about Minnesota and Chicago as teams that we weren't too sure of. They could potentially get a couple of wins there. Um, then then they've got Pitt- yeah, then they've got Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. But, you know, reasonably, they could be sitting, you know, certainly at 500, maybe even 3-1. and one. We'll wait and see how it uh, pans out. Any and final thoughts, at- boys, before I wrap up? Yeah, you look at Pittsburgh and, and uh, Roethlisberger and his health. Obviously, his health has been dwindling recently. If he gets injured early doors, who's going to come in for them? Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins? Like, neither of them is going to lead them to, to a winning record all season. So, Staying you know, scrum on Mason Rudolph. Staying <laughs> scrum. He, he, can, he, he can lead them to wins. He's proven it. He, not, um, not consistently, but enough. Enough to get seven. We will wait to see. Um, like I say... Oh, I always get accused of being very, very biased. And I am biased, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I just don't see good things for Pittsburgh. And it's long overdue. They've been good for too long, so it's about time they had a damn season. As I mentioned earlier in the week on the NFC podcast, um, don't forget you can get your copies of the full 10-yard season guide for 2021 available in a digital download for 4.99 for 400-plus pages, or we are that generous. We'll even give you another quid off if you use the code YARDS when you add the brochure to your cart and check out. So 3.99 for a digital. There are still a few physical ones left as well. If you want to get one of those from the initial print that we have put through, we 
will be refunding two lucky winners uh, when we do a draw on Friday the 20th of August. So if you get your copy in early, there's every chance that you may well not end up paying anything for it. I uh, would appreciate any feedback and reviews of the guide. We are very, very proud of it, as we keep saying, and can't recommend it highly enough. Genuinely, genuinely, you will not be disappointed with the level of depth and analysis that you're going to get from the guide. Everything from... Rookie previews, roster, deep dives, schedule, stats, betting, fan seats, all covered for you in there. And like I say, 418 plus pages all goes back to help the game in this country as well. Um, so not only a fabulous product, but also for a fabulous cause if you are a fan of American football, which I hope you are if you're listening to this podcast, obviously. Me and the boys will be back next week now. Um, I think that's enough overtime for one week, fellas. We'll be back next week, though. We'll be looking at the East, so Steve will get to be the homer as we look at the NFC East and the AFC East, where we'll see whether the newly paid Josh Allen can uh, continue leading Buffalo's resurgence. But until that time, fellas, it's been a pleasure, as it always is. Look forward to speaking to you soon. And everybody else, make sure you subscribe to all things Full 10 Yards. We will catch you very, very soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game.